0: My scripture for you this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 33. John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now I have to be careful when it comes to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark and I have a long history in the sense that I've uh, taken a lot of classes about it in, the, in seminary. I've a lot of, spent a lot of time writing about it. And the Gospel of Mark and I have a uh, not a love-hate relationship, more of a love-love relationship. So I, I have to be careful. But before we get into it, I have to nerd out with you for just a little bit we know that the gospel of mark was written before the other gospels and just by the language and uh, the audience and the things that were put together there and that it was partially written uh, before and after the destruction of the temple of jerusalem in 70 ce now this matters for us as we start talking about it because mark does not talk about the birth narrative For him, it is not as important for him as the aspect of baptism as a, and I I don't like using this term lightly, but as more of a a rebirth of one's person. That in the midst of baptism, where he was immersed, he became dead to self and alive in something else. It's not an appropriation of Jewish Jewish religious uh, rituals, you see, it was something completely different. The Gospel of Mark is also written with an idea that uh, this author wants us to know that the Roman Empire will fall and that Jesus will rule in over above them. So why not start out with a divine presence? But the Gospel of Mark writer also recognizes these religious practices that were taking place during that time frame. which I need to spend a little bit of time on. There's a baptismal service that takes place, but they don't call it baptism in the Jewish faith. There's a a religious ritual cleansing. And when you make your offerings at the end of Pesach and your ashes have been given to the Holy of Holies, everyone that has made this uh, ritual uh, cleansing goes into these baths that were in and around Jerusalem, where you washed off all of the sin, your cheta, if you will. And you placed yourself inside this water naked. And as you came out of the water, a white robe was handed to you for you to place on you. Now we're not gonna start doing naked baptism, so let's just make sure we get that out of our mind completely. Not gonna happen. so, but I, I, do, I do like the image of what happens when you think of yourself as being completely naked into God. God knows who you are to your very core, your very, the very depths of your being. Now, imagine what's happening here in Jesus' baptism. He steps foot into the water willingly, knowing full well that he is going to be transformed. In that moment, something happens. Now, see, here's the part I left out. In the Jewish faith, the reason that you came out of the water and they handed you a robe is as they physically, the priests that had the robes, could not touch you because you've been in the presence of the divine. And that water was now holy. And you physically could not touch someone that has touched God or you would die. So there was a moment in the Jewish faith that these moments of holy ritual took place that God was on you, literally and on and around you, so much so that the priest could not touch you for fear of death. You see how powerful that is? Imagine what that means for the water in the Jordan River as Jesus steps foot into it, and he comes out as something holy and divine. The Gospel of Mark writer knows this. As he says, the heavens were torn apart. That's the words. And something uh, uh, descends from heaven in such a way that hovers above him like the creation of the earth. And something new took place. And then the voice of God comes very clearly to Jesus and says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You see, the Gospel of Mark is about Jesus's choices and Jesus's decisions. And all of us are the observers. Matthew and Luke wants us to participate, which is why they changed the language. And the audience hears God's voice. And the audience witnesses this. Mark wants you to know that this was Jesus' choice in the same way that we look at baptism today. I remember when I was growing up that baptism was something that it was very important to me at an early age. And as I'm saying this, my daughter is already getting frustrated because what happens is when you're a preacher's kid, you figure out very early on that you want to be baptized. Early. Some of us, it's six years old, Madeline. Some of us, it's eight, like myself and Lillian. Some of us grow up in the church, and we automatically say we want to be baptized. And and there's for some reason, the church has decided that we have to have a test in order to say that they're uh, prepared or they understand exactly what they're doing. And and I've I've struggled with this as I've as I've gotten older as to what, what is this test that we're supposed to give people when they say they want to be baptized. I will say that in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, one of the things that we have come to understand is, is that we recognize all baptisms, which kind of freaks people out. But we believe that biblically, that something divine took place in that water. In order for us to say that you must be rebaptized, we're saying that what took place before, God wasn't there. And we just don't believe that. There's something beautiful and powerful about God's divinity in the midst of that place. Your parents, if you were infant baptized, had had an intention. They called upon God to be a part of that moment. So are we saying that God wasn't there? That the divine wasn't present? To do that is to say something... That you know better about the holy. That's not biblical, you see. John's baptism focuses in on repentance and the anticipation of the future baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is also a new concept that Jesus presents. Emphasizing the internal nature of the events when Jesus alone experiences the vision of heaven opening and the Spirit of God descending and the voice declaring him as the Son of God. You see, I tend to go back to our early church fathers because they were closest to the time of Jesus. Augustine, for example, refers to it as a divine pleasure expressed through baptism. It's that moment where we recognize that God is in the divine at that place and at that time because we've called upon God to be there. The comparison between Jesus' baptism in Mark and that of his followers is prompted. And it's important for us to notice that John's preaching to repentance and anticipation creates a respective audience for Jesus' ministry. When we think about this moment, this passage not only captures the transformative essence of John the Baptist's baptism, but also unveils the unique, uniquely in the intimate nature of Jesus's baptisms and its implications for our own identity purpose and the pleasure of God. Now, The correlation between this baptism and found in Acts 19 and Mark's gospel serve as a a reminder of the foundational role played by repentance and anticipation. John's baptism in the desert, uh, outlined in Mark, serves as this catalyst for people that stirs the hearts of the people, creating an audience eagerly awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Now I want you to just take a moment and remind yourselves of your own baptisms. Some of you can remember it, some of you remember the stories of it. What words from God would you have yearned to hear at the waters of your own baptism? You see, the mystery of baptism transcends mere historical events, it is a perpetual wellspring of grace and renewal, calling us to a deeper understanding of our identity in Christ. I think it's too easy for us to uh, put put it in such a way that uh, well, I didn't hear the words of God when I was baptized, right? Let's, let's think about this for a second. I, I don't know about you, but when I was baptized, I didn't have some sort of miraculous event. When I was growing up, one, one thing that was t- took place in the Christian church was is that we said that one could not participate in communion without being baptized. And I remember my dad asking me about what it was that meant for baptism for us was because in that moment, uh, my dad was afraid that I wanted the snacks during service, Right? And you know where I'm going with this, right? It's it's this moment where we look at ourselves and we go, well, what, what is communion for us? In the Christian church, disciples of Christ, we've made it very clear for us as a faith tradition that this is a remembrance of the Last Supper. Now, this is where it gets a little weird. The church tradition has two choices as to how and who gets to participate in that Last Supper. Early church says, well, when Jesus was baptized, they all were baptized right after him. So that by the time we came to the Last Supper, they were able to take it. Okay, that's one choice. The second choice, which is probably where I lean more, is That if Jesus is making the choice to be baptized, if we go with the Gospel of Mark, then the disciples had to make that choice themselves as well. They couldn't make that choice because, well, according to the Gospel of Mark, they hadn't been called yet. Remember, this baptism takes place in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. So he hasn't even called the disciples yet. We don't know if they're in the audience, but according to the gospel of Mark, they're not there. So let's just stick with Mark for just a second. So if the gospel, the disciples were not there at Jesus's baptism and he has called them later and he spends his entire ministry preaching and teaching and walking through them and showing and exhibiting miracle upon miracle and showing him how to heal and by the time they come to that last supper meal he says and this place this bread becomes my body this wine becomes my blood which has been poured out for the many and as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you do so in me They're still a little confused, but they say, okay. They take it, and in that moment, they're transformed. Now, Mark doesn't give us a happy ending. We don't know, according to the Gospel of Mark, if they get baptized, or what they do. Actually, the end of the Gospel of Mark, they run away and hide. Matthew and Luke, there's a story that takes place. Matthew even gives us the Great Commission. Luke says other things take place. And why does Luke matter? Well, he writes the Acts of the Apostles and he makes sure we know when the disciples were baptized. Does anybody remember? At Pentecost. In a similar way that Jesus was. Tongues of fire come down from heaven through a mighty wind. They aloft upon everyone's heads. And in that place... They were filled with what? Oh, now come on, church. We got to be awake here. The Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment that how many people were baptized? 3,000. It's at that moment that the early church believes that the disciples were baptized. So it's a homogenization, you see, where we, where we get the idea. Does it matter, really, at the end of the day? Were the disciples baptized? Were they not baptized? Uh, yeah, kind of, and not really at the same time. The point of it is, for us today, when we talk about baptism, the tapestry of Jesus' baptism, we get to discern both the similarities and the dissimilarities to the baptism experienced by his followers and the importance that they placed on it for all of us that proclaimed the name of Jesus from that point to today. It makes us question and discuss what does communion mean to us? If we go off the gospel of Mark, which I tend to do, this becomes the place where we experience the presence of Jesus. And we remember The stories, the parables, the miracles. So that we can be led to a moment of baptism. And when we make that choice to be baptized and immersed just like Christ was, maybe, just maybe, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and follow in the footsteps of his disciples. Proclaiming and teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The words of John the Baptist resound through time. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This promise is not a mere theological concept, but a living reality that continues to unfold in the lives of believers today. When we dig deep into the depths of our own baptismal experience, I want you to be mindful of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, renewing, transforming, and guiding us on our journey of faith. Each of you have a different experience about baptism. Thank God for that, right? Each of you have a different experience of the Holy Spirit, and thank God for that. Something of the divine took place, whether it was in that baptism or whether you were sprinkled on the head, something holy took place that transformed you into living vessels, ambassadors of Christ. So may we recognize and embrace the divine pleasure, as Augustine said, through baptism, allowing the the words as God speaks to each of us saying, you are my beloved children. As we journey forward, let the waters of baptism continually renew and guide us in our walk with the Lord and in this moment let us explore the richness of baptism so that we unveil not just a historical event but an ongoing ordinance that shapes our identity it fuels our purpose and connects us to the eternal love of our heavenly father so may the grace of baptism be a source of continual inspiration and transformation in our lives amen